But today we finish this series on Philippians, and uh, we uh, turn to chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Listen to the word of God. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Now that I am referring, not that I am referring in being, yeah, let me start that over. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have a little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of the emperor's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, in the midst of the many words that are both without and within, may we cling to you, the unchanging word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite figures from antiquity is Diogenes of Sinope, or sometimes he's known as Diogenes the Cynic, who's attributed to starting the school of cynicism, which wasn't so much a school as, as his own kind of interesting uh, thoughts. And uh, many of his students are alive and well today, right? <laughs> We live in an age of cynicism, which reminds me, I had a, a friendly argument with my second son about 15 years ago. He was in his early 20s. And I finally said to him, you haven't earned that cynicism. He goes, but you're a cynic, Dad. I go, yes, but I've earned my cynicism. You've got to do a little bit more before you can be as cynical as you are. But the great thing about uh, uh, Diogenes the Cynic, he is roughly a, a late contemporary of Plato and an early contemporary of Aristotle. Uh, matter of fact, Plato said he was Socrates gone mad. Um, he ignored social convention. He slept outside. Uh, he begged for his food. He was content with very little. Uh, he used to sleep in a jar. Uh, one time he used to have a bowl and he saw a peasant kid uh, drinking water out of his hand and he broke the bowl and he says, see, I was carrying around something I didn't need. So this is the kind of character he was. Two of, some of the most famous stories, uh, he's also the one who went around with a lamp 
Um, and it's, the story is often told that he was looking for an honest man. Okay? But it's true is that he was carrying the lamp during the day, and he said what he was really was looking for was a real man, not all these rascals who were running Athens at the time. Two of my favorite stories are around his encounter with Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great was quite taken with this famous philosopher. And he came up to him, and one story says that Alexander the Great looks at him and says, if I were not Alexander, then I should wish to be Diogenes. To which Diogenes replied, if I were not Diogenes, I would still wish to be Diogenes. <laughs> And then the most famous one of all is Diogenes is sitting on a rock, sunning himself, trying to drive from a rainstorm, but he was soaked in. And Alexander the Great comes up riding on a horse and says, oh, the great philosopher of Diogenes, I am the conqueror of the world. I will give you anything you want from me. To which Diogenes says, could you please move to the right? You're in my sun. Radical contentment, the Apostle Paul. If I've learned to be content with whatever I have, I know what it is to have a little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I think it's providential that this passage comes before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is about celebrating how God has provided for our needs and our wants. Paul was thankful for the ongoing support of his beloved Philippians. He indicates that this small community of faith had been a partner with him when others had not. And the recent gift they gave him literally could be keeping him alive. Because when you were in prison in those days, you didn't get fed. You didn't get clothed. You didn't get a blanket. If you were sick, you didn't get any medicine. You were dependent upon outsiders, your family or friends supplying your needs. Now, Paul had worked to support himself his whole life. He was a tent maker. But the generosity of the Philippians and others were keeping him alive. The Philippians were literally sustaining their spiritual father. None of them at the time were aware, but in essence, the Philippians were funding the writing of the New Testament. You stop and think about that. You, you never know what your generosity is going to do. You never know what that one word of encouragement can mean to someone. I even remember a parent when I was leaving Midland, Texas, said to me, I never called you. She was a single mom and I loved her kids, but her, her, her guys were pretty wild. She goes, I never called you, but the fact that you loved my boys and I knew that I could helped me get through some tough times. That blew me away. I was, I was just utterly humbled by that. Because I hadn't really, I hadn't done anything, right? John Winthrop was the governor of the Plymouth uh, Bay Colony, the Puritans, our spiritual fathers, who came a few years after the pilgrims. 
And this is part of their charter. For this end, we must be knit together in this work as one person. We must entertain each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to abridge ourselves of our superfluities for the supply of others' necessities. In other words, if we have more, we should share with those who have less. We must uphold a familiar commerce together in all meekness, gentleness, patience, and liberality. Now that was the principle, the founding principle of our forebearers in this part of the world. This idea of taking care of each other. Part of the secret of Christian contentment is to know that you are not alone. The church is not a building to come to, but rather a family that you are a part of. As Bonhoeffer said in the book we read this week, Christian community is a gift of God, which we cannot claim, but just receive. Part of the secret of contentment is to allowing other people to walk with you. One of the reasons that America has trouble being Christian, and I mean this, I mean this literally, <laughs> is that we're so individualistic. You cannot make it on your own. And the good news is you're not. You all haven't gone through all that you've gone through here for any other reason than that. We are a family of faith. And we walk together. Paul was able to be content because he had concrete expressions of God's presence in this world through people who loved him. It's equally providential that this passage comes on Stewardship Sunday. Again, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, unless I'm, I'm brought in by an outside church, which I sometimes frequently have been over the last 15 years, churches will bring me in to run their stewardship program. But when I'm doing a stewardship program for my own church, I never change the scriptures. I never pick particular stewardship scriptures. Okay? Because it's all about, <laughs> it's all about the high privilege it is to share in the good gifts that God has given us. Stewardship is a reminder that we're supposed to be in charge of our stuff, not our stuff in charge of us. William Bradford, who was the governor, you know, the first leader of the pilgrims. I, I, I hadn't read this until this week. It, it's kind of pathetic and funny at the same time. He, he's groaning that in the good old days, now the good old days is when half of them died, but he left that part out, okay? Because when we first got here, we were content. But now that the Puritans have showed up, is essence who he's, he's talking about, the price of cattle has gone up, and now all of us have become greedy. And he goes on to say, we all have to tear down our barns to build bigger barns. 
our houses are now not big enough. And he goes on to say, just like the parable our Lord gave to warn us. As hard as it is to be content in times of deficiency, okay? And there's nothing, there's nothing particularly virtuous about being poor. I think it's harder to be content the more that you have. Our country rewards greed. That explains the tax cuts of the last 40 years. Do you realize that the disparity in our country between the haves and have-nots is greater than it was in Charles Dickens' England? That's, that's remarkable to think about that, particularly a country that was founded on middle-class principles. And so I think it's really important for us as Christians just to become Christian about our possessions, not to be pagan like our society. You know, Paul believed and he says that my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to the riches of his glory. Like I said, there's nothing inherently virtuous about being poor, but the trouble of being rich in money or if you're rich in talent or if you're rich in opportunity or if you're rich in intellect, you don't need to pray. <laughs> right? I mean, it, my, my biggest, people say, we should pray about this. I go, well, I, I can figure this out. All right? And sometimes that's true, right? Okay. I remember one time, I've told this story, we were arguing about what color the carpet of the sanctuary should be. All those important things that churches do. Uh, it wasn't here, it was a different church. And finally, someone said, we should pray about what color God wants the carpet to be. To which I said, God doesn't care what color the carpet is. And, they, and the person was offended. I go, what do you mean? I go, God made all the colors. He likes all the colors. <laughs> he doesn't have a favorite. So we're going to vote on this. Okay, We're not going to kick it down the road anymore, right? So that you can use your mind, right? We don't have, if we have the money in the bank for something, we don't have to pray for it, that God would provide our needs for it, right? But see, the, the danger of that is that we can begin to think that we're self-sufficient. And, and self-sufficiency can, can be an idolatry. It might be the great idolatry of our whole American ethos. To be committed to God is to know that God alone satisfies in plenty and in want, like the old marriage vows. If you are truly content in God, then you will be pleased and at peace with whether you're eating your daily bread or a turkey dinner with all the trimmings. And that is what Paul is trying to tell us. That when you're rich in Christ, you can face anything. If you have God's grace, if you have God's mercy, as he said in chapter 2, if you have been given joy and sympathy, it doesn't mean the days are going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're not going to face horrific things, right? But God will be enough. And you can face the day. Again, I tell you this all the time, words that still echo in my head 
from an ancient spiritual director who said to me, what can satisfy a soul if God is not enough? Stewardship is about saying, yes, God has given me things and I will share what I can. Thanksgiving is about seeing all the good gifts God has given us, even in the midst of the sadnesses and being grateful. It struck me this week as I was working on the sermon that this could possibly be the last words of Paul. Philippians could very well be the last thing the Apostle Paul ever wrote. We don't, we don't know that for sure, but it's one of the last things he wrote. And so possibly this could be his last testament, if you would. I always find it interesting what people's last words are. Um, I saw a funny meme this week where um, someone asked, well, uh, Grandma, what was granddad's last words? And she said, are you still holding the ladder? Um, which is not funny given Gus, our friend Gus fell off a ladder this week. So we're thankful that Gus, he's not here, but he's okay. All right. So when people tell you not to get on the ladder, we should listen. All right. I, I know I will, honey. All right. So. <laughs> I have a funny story about a ladder. I'll tell you, not in church. All right. Um, my grandma, my, my mom, this was, this would be my first Thanksgiving without my mom. And my mom was, um, we didn't know she was dying at the time, but it turned out this was our last conversation with her. And she was kind of in and out of, uh, you know, she was in a, I think she'd had a stroke. We don't know for sure, but I think that's what happened. And so uh, her mom, my mom's first name was Georgia. So I played Ray Charles Georgia on my mind. And as I was playing that, she, she lit up and she goes, that's me, honey. <laughs> and so those are her last words in my mind. That's me, honey. And it was, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm reminded in this time of um, horrific anti-Semitism that is going on in our country. Um, and, and we need to just be aware that this is not normal. This is not okay, okay? Attacking a Muslim woman on a walk because she's practicing religion, that's not okay either. Neo-Nazis marching in mass in Wisconsin is not okay. Ivy League professors engaging in hate speech is unacceptable. College students saying stupid things, that's part of being college. Professors, teachers, ministers should lose their jobs engaging in hate speech. Free speech is one thing, but the hate that's going on in our country, again, you don't have to know a lot of history to be concerned, okay? Hadrian had one of the great rabbis of, uh, of really, the early Judaism after the destruction of Jerusalem, Rabbi Akiva, he had him executed in a very horrific way. I don't have to go into details. But as he was being tortured, he prayed to Shema. And Rabbi Akiva's last word was one. He just finished the Lord your God is one. He finished it and he died. Hadrian died a couple years later and Hadrian's last words were, oh my poor soul, where are you going? Okay. 
radically different approach, right? right? St. Paul. The secret to Paul's contentment is the same for us as well. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can face anything through him who strengthens me. You have to think of the Apostle Paul. It's kind of a, a nice opportunity to summarize his life. If you beat up the Apostle Paul, and he was beaten multiple times, he says, I count the joy not only to believe but to suffer for Christ. If you threaten to kill the Apostle Paul, he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If you put the Apostle Paul in prison, he writes the New Testament. Regardless of what we face, if Christ is our center, we can face it. You can face it. Commitment to God is, is, is really, I think, the key to living life at its fullest. It is the essence of the abundant life that Jesus promised. Because if I have the assurance that God is with me, then I'm free to enjoy the good gifts of every day. If God is with me in my pain, I know I'm not alone. When God is with me in my losses, I know that he has walked this way before me. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, either with myself or with those I love, I know that I have a God who has been crucified. I can face all things in this life through Christ who strengthens me. I can survive all things in this life through Christ that is with me. For me to live is Christ, to die is to be with God. I think that is the key to the holy adventure that God calls us to together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I invite you to stand and say together what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.